Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is, I swear to God, I didn't plan this. It just, it just happened this way. But this is episode 168. And my guest this week is Josh Scoggin of the band 68. Isn't that cute? He also was the original singer of Norma Jean. He was the front man of The Chariot. We get into all of this stuff, but I want to let you know, if you happen to be listening to this in Australia, he is over there right now with his band 68. They are supporting the Bronx's 20th anniversary tour. They're playing this Friday in Melbourne. Then they got Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, and Perth to follow. So if you happen to be listening from down under, head on over to that. I'd also like to let you know, especially if you are new here, that there is a bonus episode available right now where Josh answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that bonus episode plus all of the other bonus episodes. I do a radio show on there. There's a Discord channel. There's all sorts of fun stuff happening. It would uh, help support the show, and it means a lot to me. Another way to help support is to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to it, leaving a positive rating and review, as everybody asks you to do. There is a reason, because it helps. Okay, what else is up? Uh, my band, Touche Amore, is supporting Deaf Heaven, a part of the 10-year anniversary of Sunbather. That starts very soon. We fly Thanksgiving weekend. Isn't that fun? On Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, we're flying to Chicago, LAX to O'Hare. Don't be jealous. Uh, tour starts there. Uh, it's very, very excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're playing Chicago, Detroit, Philly, New York, DC, Boston. I'm not doing these in the right order. San Francisco, LA, Denver, Austin. And then we're doing a special headline show in Dallas as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Please check the dates over at touchemore.com slash tour. What else is up? Oh, I do a label called Secret Voice. I've been doing it for a really long time. We just announced a brand new record from an incredible band called Infant Island. The record is called Obsidian Wreath. There's a brand new single from it called Another Cycle, which you could stream anywhere you listen to music. If you are a fan of bands like Deaf Heaven, Full of Hell, things like that, or maybe you're into Screamo, this is all up your alley. Please, please go check it out. The record comes out in January. I'm very proud to be a part of its release. It is so fucking good. All right. Without further ado, let's hear Mr. Stage Presence personified himself. It's Josh Scoggin. What's up, Josh? Good to see you. How are you, man? Doing real well. Doing real well. It's nice to see your face. It's been a, it's been a long time. It has yeah. been a long time. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, dude, how long has it been? But it's been... Like was 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 Russia the last? Time? You know, it's, you know, I want to say that I saw you in Atlanta. I don't know if it was maybe. Did you come out to Wrecking yeah, Ball Fest? Um, I didn't come out to that. Uh, we were on tour for that because I was really bummed to miss that. Yeah. One. Um, but I feel like maybe I did see you at, uh, in in passing. In passing, like, at like, something. like either you were at a show or I was at a show, something like that. Totally, um, totally. But I mean still too long <laughs> yeah the fact also that the only time that i've ever played russia was <laughs> us two just randomly being on these yeah. two shows yeah. makes that situation just like so also specific you know yeah like, yeah 
uh that was like such a whirlwind and just a whole wild experience for for us and then also the fact that that was like our first time ever getting to hang out and stuff like that also makes that its own specific memory so it was awesome so you know doing the research for this episode um you know it was fun to sort of click around and see how much you know you and i just in age and all this sort of stuff have in common and so are you originally from douglasville such as like a suburb of atlanta um when looking that up i noticed that uh walton goggins is also the actor walton goggins also i guess grew up there and uh yeah went to (laughs) went to lithia springs high school is that where you went that's where i went there you go that's awesome yeah, I was. I mean, he's one of the most enjoyable people to see on screen. So, so I always yeah. get excited when like looking up where people are from to be like, oh man, that person went there too. That's hilarious. Yeah, I guess he's he was born in Alabama but grew up in uh, yeah, in, yeah. Like, his, his formative years, I guess, were all in dude. If he went to Lithia Springs, man, that's like, I mean, that's exactly like I was born and raised just you know, sort of down the street uh, from there, but uh, uh, and so yeah, dude, Lithia Springs, man, like we we used to like <clears throat> now it's all built up and so it's funny um i was telling somebody this the other day but we used to skip school and the only place you could go like before you could drive the only place like if you skip school there was a hardy's <laughs> and there was like but they would but they would tell on you the hardy's would like i don't know how but they would always like tell on you somehow and then there was a gas station and like it was a tiny gas station so like legit like you'd skip school and you would just be like well these are our two options and so we'd pop in get hardy's but like then head to that gas station and 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 either either walk a long 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 way or you know just wait for someone that that can drive get out and like come get you or something but um (laughs) but that's lithia springs dude i mean it was nothing you know it's like a it's a small small town and and it's big now we got you know atlanta's the new hollywood we got all the movies being made here so it's everything around us is booming and um it's hard to even remember what it used to be like but yeah back in those days it was definitely uh you know it's like it's like are we even is there even a point to skipping school like we might as well just stay in school like we don't want hardies (laughs) right (laughs) we're not trying to go eat that you know so (laughs) once this is a funny question but once you started touring what the first time you you like started heading more west was your brain exploding when you noticed that hardy's is also carl's jr because yeah. i remember my first time <laughs> heading your way and then seeing hardy's but it's in the same logo as carl's yeah, jr yeah, yeah. like i had no knowledge of that so i was like right. what the hell yeah, yeah 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 there's there's a ton of things like that um uh that you know when you you start traveling around you go oh like this is that version of that or this is you know i don't i don't know why they kept the carl's jr or kept the hardys but yeah they they it was like it's the same thing but we'll name it something new. yeah it's a strange thing but yeah i definitely uh i remember the first time seeing carl's jr but seeing that same logo be like wait what is that place you know totally totally my <laughs> yeah. i think my favorite example of that is how in australia burger king is called hungry jacks yeah and yeah, yeah. and my and a friend of mine told me this story which i am 1000 percent calling like it's gospel it's it this is the truth even though i guarantee it's probably just folklore but supposedly there's one (laughs) the story i heard was there's one guy who has a shack like on a beach called burger king in australia and the company tried to buy him out of that name and he was and he was supposedly his response was confused and where he was like but i am the burger king (laughs) 
So he wouldn't, but he wouldn't sell out. So that's why they have to have Hungry Jacks. Yeah, I love that story. I'm gonna just pretend that it's real, even though yeah, yeah, in my mind it's absolutely real. Yeah, totally. There's like he's like a he's a uh, he's an artist through and through. He's like yes, I am the burger. Like, what are you talking about? This isn't uh, for sale. Like, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Like, I imagine a very like Matthew McConaughey type, but Australian type of person. And they just got so many millions coming his way. And he's like, I'm not doing this for the money. This is my art, bud. What are you talking about? (laughs) 1,000%. 1,000%. Amazing. Um, So, you know, mentioning how that was such a, you know, there wasn't a lot to see, a lot to do in Douglasville. um, I was curious what the first thing that you connected with musically uh, that felt like it was yours. I'm, the reason I'm connecting those two is like, was there like a local record shop uh, that you were able to go to, or did you have to like travel to Atlanta for that? I, these are two kind of questions. Yeah. Um, but you could, I guess, maybe answer that one first. Like, how did you buy music if, in such a town like that? Yeah. So, um, Douglasville had its cool record shop. And it's so funny. So I, I can totally connect to, you know, when, when a band is a local band, but they're kind of like a big fish in a small pond. Um, w- you and I have been doing this long enough that you, we can see and, and we even lived through it, but we see there's a comfort there and you feel like, whoa, like we're, you may not say these words, but you're kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the moment you expand outside, I mean, now we have the internet and everything else. So it's like all everything everywhere all at once sort of, but like for the most part back in the day, it was like, you know, you're like, you're a big a local band, but then the moment you expand out, you realize like, Oh, nobody knows us at all. There's no reason for someone in Texas to know who we are or whatever. And so that becomes the reality of like, okay, this is, if, if we're going to do this, this is the thing we got to conquer, not necessarily just. So anyway, I say all that to compare it to, we had um, backstage music, which was in Douglasville and it was the cool place. And dude, I'm talking about like they probably weren't cool, but the people working there made you feel like complete idiot. Like you were, no matter what you liked, like if you could like the weirdest, like you could like something bizarro and they were listening to something even more bizarro. And like, and I remember going in asking for a Portishead uh, album or something one time and they legit were just like Portishead. <laughs> I was like, what like i know enough to know portishead rules like i yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm very confident in how great portishead is but they were listening to uh uh tricky and uh and i'd never heard of him at that time or whatever um and they were like uh if you like that like you should be listening to this and i swear to you they slid i can't remember the name of the album but i know what it looks like and they slid this album out to me and i dude it was peer pressure of like the coolest sort i was like I, i'm not gonna not do that like i didn't have money or anything but i was like yeah i'll buy that <laughs> like because i'm like i'm not gonna tell this super cool for person uh that that like I, and so i literally got it and i did love it uh, it was amazing um i don't know if the album is called this but there's a song in there called poems and uh and so whatever that album is but anyway i was about um, to look it up but that title is impossible to google yeah yeah it's so <laughs> it's so uh i got I like text it to you later or something but, 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 uh, but was it in that like electronica sort of it's, vibe it's, like a sneaker pimpsy sort of like yeah yeah i mean in, in 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 a way of like having a big spectrum and knowing that it is somewhere in there sure um but it is weird and i still love it to this day 
and I followed it for a long time. Tricky, uh, I followed, you know, as he put out albums, I'd, I'd follow because it's weird, bizarro stuff. And yeah, like, and um, and I really, really enjoyed it. So again, sort you know the, these sort of gatekeepers of of cool, you know, like it 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 worked. I mean, I I know of a cooler thing. Is it cooler than Portishead? I don't think it's cooler, but it's just a different type it's of cool. And, and yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm very grateful that these snooty folks wouldn't no matter what you came in with dude you couldn't come in with anything but anyway so my point is that was our douglasville one and then the the greatest shop of all time as far as uh in my world um criminal records in atlanta georgia and little five and i have such uh the short story i'll tell there is so i i used to like in middle school or whatever i would go to criminal records and I would try to just buy like I, I literally like whatever money I could save up. I'd save up any kind of money and they would have these weird like Nirvana B-sides and mm, rarities. Yeah. And they have that story that Kurt Cobain wrote that um, uh, William S. Burroughs like read. It's uh, uh, I can't remember what it's, it's called. A, oh, yeah. It's, it's like, like on a 10 inch. Yeah. Yeah, they had that and like, dude, I mean, just bizarre stuff that, that and, and I would literally just save up a little bit of money. I'd go to Little Five and you, you would just hang out Little Five in Atlanta just all day long. Like, I don't even know what we would do, but we just hang out. Um, but you'd always go to Criminal Records and, and I would just see what weird thing they had, whether it was like some weird Nirvana album or like Unsane or, or, or a Helmet or something, you know, just whatever thing. And, and if it was not a main recording i would buy it just whatever it was so anyway love that store you know i i owe that store like some of, you know some of my the reasons i'm who i am today because of all the weird stuff they had so then in the chariot we uh we got to do an in-store there and it was like a big deal to me and and i was like i was just really just kind of honored to even do it but um, there was a lot of people that came out, which was really, really cool. Kind of, it was like in the parking lot and it was like enough people that it kind of created a, uh, like a hazard, like, cause it's, it wasn't a big parking lot. So it was kind of yeah. spilling into the streets. And so it's, it's kind of a neat thing. And so anyway, the owner of criminal records just happened to be there. I don't think he necessarily knew who we were, but so I told him all that stuff I just told you about coming up there in middle school and trying to find some weird Nirvana stuff. So he literally was like, hold on one second, leaves, comes back, and he has like an original, it's like ripped in the corners, but like um, an original in utero poster from when they were promoting the oh, album. Man. And so what they do, I guess, is they just have these big old staples. And so basically they staple over the the thing before staple over the, and then eventually it gets so much that they have to just tear it all down and start over. Totally, yeah. And, and I just happened to play there in when they were all tearing the old posters down and he remembered that and he went and got it to me and I and I literally have it hanging like in my office today. It's oh. and it's like I said, it's like ripped on the corners and stuff, but it's just like an original, you know, uh thing promoting that album. And to be given some something that I think is really, really cool by someone that, you know, he has no idea the impacts he's had on my life because he's just a guy probably trying to find cool stuff. Um and yeah, that, that was just like a very kind of full circle moment for me where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like, if middle school me knew that I was yeah. doing this right now, like that's awesome, you know? And so, uh, 
<clears throat> so anyway, back to your original question. In my local's place, there was backstage music. It was like the cool place to go and, and stuff like that. But if you ventured into uh, Atlanta, um, Criminal Records is like uh, the place. And it's the still, it's still yeah. a sweet place. Yeah, yeah, that's it a great exists. It's a great shop for sure. Uh, yeah. I feel like anytime we play The Masquerade, I always end up taking an Uber or something nice. like that down there to sort of, you yeah. know, do do whatever. So um so what you know you mentioned being into Portishead and stuff like that. Do you remember when you were young though, like the first thing that you heard that maybe your folks weren't listening to that got you excited about music, maybe gave you a sense of your own identity? Was it like the Nirvana type of stuff or was it before that? Um yeah, I think it was I'm trying to think of the first it was kind of a me and like it was literally like my seventh grade year, me and like all my friends just sort of dove headfirst into everything that was sort of that at the moment, which was like, <clears throat> so like Hum, Toadies, Bush, um, uh, Unsane, um, Unsane maybe came a little later. I can't remember, but, it, but it's all kind of a big, I basically started and then just went hard in the paint you know what I mean like I was legit like I was going to shows just to go to shows you know what I mean like it didn't matter if I liked the band knew the band like I just wanted all of it and um and so but yeah I I don't know I don't know the first one sure um, but I know you know Allison Chains and 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 anything in that yeah, I can't remember even the first like album. The first thing I really remember that like, because my my parents were pretty, like my dad, like I I grew up on like Led Zeppelin and like cool bands because my dad had good taste in music and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, as far as that's concerned, so so he could he could sort of hang with some of the uh, you know Soundgarden stuff and Nirvana stuff like that like he 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 it may not have been his favorite thing but he's fine but I remember the first thing that I was like I love this and my parents hate this yeah uh, was probably Corn and maybe even like Deftones um because uh, I remember like jamming it in my room and you know my dad just being like what is yeah. happening right now <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and like and uh and you know I was never like rebellious for the sake of being rebellious but at the same time I remember just being like okay, like, this is my thing. Like, this isn't something we're going to share together. This is just like, I love it. And I get it, you know? Totally. Um, I'm curious yeah. that I'm curious how close our timelines here though are, because for me, I was a massive, massive Nirvana fan, massive. And when Kurt died, I was, you know, I've, I've said this probably a million times either on this podcast or elsewhere, but like, I took it so hard that I thought that like music was like done for me, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, but then that <laughs> same year later down the line, that first corn record comes out the same yeah. year that Kurt passes. Right. And that like just started a whole new trajectory for <clears> me <throat> where I was like, all of a sudden now I'm into like this hyper aggressive different, yeah. you know, it like I liked metal in the sense that like, I think everybody probably around that time who are in our age group probably if not owned had an opinion or a thought on Metallica because of the black album was already out and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But like, I wasn't a metal kid. I, st I like you, I loved grunge and like <laughs> yeah. anything kind of alternative like that. But yeah, it was when that first corn record came out that like it changed. And then, yeah, I got into, you know, I 
got adrenaline from Deftones shortly thereafter yeah, yeah, yeah. and sort of went that route. Um, is that sort of the same thing that happened with you? That's, that's almost exact. Um, I, I think, cause you gotta, I mean, that first corn record, dude, nothing sounded like that. Like for better or worse, nothing, whether you liked it or not, it's like nothing sounded like that. And to hear that and to, I mean, yeah, it was, it was the thing that sort of opened up the idea of like, oh, like I didn't think I was living in a box, but you hear something like that and then you just go, whoa, I didn't even, you know, and I, and I, I mean, I can, you know, point out, you know, like, and some people may can hear it, but I could point out early Norma Jean stuff where I'm like, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like people have given me uh, you know the, people have said some nice things you know the horror chord you know the like diminished chord yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like we kind of ran that into the ground and like people were like oh the first time i heard that was like you know norma Jean or whatever like oh cool neat that's uh, you know and, and but i'm like we got it from corn i mean that was the first time i heard it like yeah the first time i heard two notes that were doing this on purpose and then, you know, like they'd come together and then go back. Like, I was just like, this is the, this is heavy, but like passionate heavy. Totally. You know, what I mean? um, so, you know what's interesting and yeah. is so we did, I know Norma Jean ended up doing records with Ross Robinson. Yeah. yeah. We did our last record with him and getting to know him and then like kind of interrogating what it was about that record that changed so much for me and like how that could have influenced my life going forward. You talking about like those notes and those chords makes a lot of sense. But a big thing that I took away from it when really kind of thinking about it was Corn was the first band that displayed any sort of vulnerability. Yes. And I think that hundred percent. And I think that vulnerability is what went on to just completely you know, like influence. I mean, certainly all the bands that I've done, you know, like are specifically yeah. and stuff like that, but like, um, and why that, you know, <clears throat> I liked metal, like I said, but like, then once I found hardcore and more like emo leaning stuff or screamo leaning stuff, it was the vulnerability that I was chasing. Whereas like, I think a lot of metal started to not speak to me as much because the, because what they were oh, singing about yeah. wasn't anything I could connect <clears throat> to. Like I love, Dude fucking fear factory and sepultura and all that stuff as much as the next guy but like yeah lyrically that stuff wasn't connecting for me so right. i think it was like the corn to leading to like you know more hardcore screamo stuff that was like singing about actual things might yeah. have you know i'm curious <clears throat> if, if if you have any thoughts on that same i dude the vulnerability i i've actually talked about that a ton uh with with friends and i just discussing music and stuff um my there was such an emotional so corn didn't feel like at least when you to get over analyzing on this thing like it it didn't feel like it was heavy for the sake of being heavy it mm. felt like there was only one way to express this and that's heaviness and and because of my previous bands and some of the tours we had to do and stuff people would sometimes be like oh man you know if there's saying nice things about me or whatever. They're like, Oh man, he's so angry. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm very passionate. You know, like there's a big difference. I, I have nothing to be angry. I have two parents that loved me and, 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 and I was raised in a decent house, you know? So, so I'm not like trying to be something I'm not, 
and being in a heavy band and just being like, you know, for no reason. It's like, I'm very passionate. I felt like those, those, those corn records and, and even Deftones and stuff like that, they were, they were very, I mean, corn specifically, it's so heavy, but it's like, that's the only way to describe. That's the only thing you can, you, you couldn't say what I have to say with, pop music you know what i mean like that right. doesn't exist and that that wouldn't fulfill the, the things needed and so with with like norma jean and the chariot and stuff for me it's like i was always sort of i always connected to that and how i felt listening to that and being like okay i need to be i need to be so passionate about whatever i'm saying that it opens up the door of like, this is why I'm screaming because there's only one way to say what I got to say and yes. it's passion. And, and I don't have the same passion that Jonathan Davis had with his sort of background, but my passion was my passion. And, 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 and hopefully, you know, it wasn't coming from a negative point of view. That's another topic altogether, but just the idea of passion, just like pushing it as far forward as you can. But a lot of times not to be all like, you know, I don't like getting nostalgic for the sake of being like, oh, back in the day. But I feel like, in my own opinion, even certain heavy bands, they might be sonically, objectively heavy, but it still feels like it's got this roundness to it. It's not sharp. It's not, you know, some of them, you know, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but there's so many heavy bands because me and my friend were talking about this the other night literally last night we were at waffle house uh talking about this we were like what's a a good heavy band that you've heard that's new and amazing and phenomenal and i'm sure they're out there as as, as soon as this these yeah. leave my lips there's gonna be people like oh dude you gotta check it but i i was like struggling to come but i'm like and, I, and we started talking about that i'm like there's so many bands that i know of that they are heavy. They're playing on 11, but it doesn't, I'm not feeling it. You know, it's not mm, moving yeah. me. There's no vibration there. It's not sharp. It's not like, you know, and so for me myself, I've, I find myself kind of turned off by it. And, and, and someone, someone with an acoustic guitar, who's, who's not hitting hardly any notes, but passionately giving it to me, I'll be drawn to that every day of the week more than I'd be drawn to someone that's got full turn to 11. You they're, are they're acting my tough friend for no reason. You know what I mean? Like you're speaking my language. <laughs> like I, 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 you know, I love like you, I, I can appreciate and love hyper aggressive music mm-hmm. and I see all the things that make other people like it about it. But for me, it's hearing the vulnerability. It's hearing how yeah. like you, you know, I've, I've, said this before but like i could put on a new band that everybody's excited about and, and i'm like oh, i'll check it out you could tell within like a minute of listening to it whether this person is screaming because that's what you do in the genre or they're right. screaming because they mean it and yeah. when you are able to audibly tell like that person means it yeah it can change everything and i like you 100%. it's like it's like it doesn't have to be a hardcore band you yeah, know yeah, like yeah uh the, uh, I like the band Big Thief and like one of the one of their newer singles, <clears throat> uh, the vocalist, like her voice starts breaking up and like as she's screaming and it sounds like really grimy and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah. like that's the part it. that's making it, <laughs> love it work or like, yeah, 
you know, I, going back to like our love about in utero and, and Nirvana and stuff like that, like in milk it, that creepy little giggle he does before the last, but yeah. like, I know exactly those, what you're talking about. like the hairs on my arms line up because it's like, yeah. that's a, that's a genuine response to him singing this part. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, or like, yeah. Uh, yeah. All of that stuff. Like those, those subtle moments of like, things being wrong or things sounding off or like a voice cracking or whatever. Like, let me, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, so, so I've met with Ross Robinson before in the chair, we were going to do a record with him and, uh, we sat down and had a good discussion and, um, and, uh, and I think I had one other, uh, meal with him, uh, randomly, but, um, so basically I've had three like interactions, but they've been like, you know, kind of business related yeah so so here's my thing i was going to say on the heels of what you were saying i feel like someone like ross robinson uh caught on like he knew that even though maybe you weren't hitting the note maybe your voice did technically crack where where a, a singer who takes pride in their voice a little bit goes oh don't use that take but i think he and so my question comes back because I've never yeah. recorded with him. Like, yeah. is that, that's probably true, right? Like he goes, oh my God. yo, like we need this one that may not be the best, but it's the best. Like it's getting the, and that's what, like, that's why those corn records rule. That's why, you know, at the drive-in, like that's what, like those things, you're not chasing perfection in the sense of like sonically it's 10 out of 10, you're chasing emotion and you're chasing you know and i feel like he captures that pretty well but he, that but that that's my question to you is like yeah. do you agree with that having recorded with him 1000 percent. he <clears throat> when he was like so he had steve evitz mix the record but nice he was he it's like he was setting everything up and getting all the tracks and all that for like a long time before he ended up passing it off to steve yeah. and when he was doing that <clears throat> i mean i know he pulled vocal takes from getting the getting the drum tracks recorded you know what I'm saying? Like nice, scratch nice. tracks, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. things that like weren't Brilliant. were imperfect. Like, like they weren't they weren't perfected, but had that vulnerability <clears throat> in it. And even yeah. like <laughs> I remember there was it, right off what you were saying. Like there's a few songs on the record specifically where like though I'm still screaming, I'm screaming in sort of a melodic way, right? Right. That I worked hard to make sure I was doing it in the right quote unquote key. Sure. And, and so when we were tracking the song, one of the songs in particular, I remember saying to him like, yo, I'm all for doing this in the, in the, in like the realest way possible, but I am also concerned that I'm doing it correctly. And, yeah, yeah. and he understood what I was saying. And his whole thing was like, you're going to do it enough times to where you're doing it. Right. He was nice. like, but, but he was like, I'm not, you know, we're not going to like, I'm not going to tell you to go up or down. Like you're going to do it so many times. It's just going to be right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I was I like, and, that. but me, I'm like, yeah, but is it like, I'm still like concerned about the technical aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was not concerned at all. He was just like, it'll be great. And I, I just it. had to trust that. And then when I listened back to it, it's like, I know he never touched any sort of like, you know, pitch, whatever, yeah, yeah. like stuff to, to help, help it be right. But he was like, he just trusted so much that like, you're going to do it enough times. It's going to be great. And I was like, I like wow. that. I like that thought process of uh, like, I do this a little bit sometimes, but the idea like him taking a couple of scratch tracks, because as you know, mentally as a singer, like when you're doing a scratch track, it's like, you're, you're almost having fun with it because 
this isn't going to be a keeper. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you're so you're a lot more free, and you're probably a little bit more from the gut instinct sort of thing versus oh, okay, we're recording my part. You start overthinking stuff sometimes, you know. Um, and so like that is something like there's there's plenty of times just when I'm doing my own demos, like I'll, I'll try to get a demo like as cool as I can so that at least when I'm showing it to the producer or whatever, it's like, I don't have to like hyper explain anything. Totally. Like, either like, like this, this or you is. don't like yeah. this. Yeah. Um, if you don't like this, like this is what I'm going for. So now we're on the same page sort of thing. Um, and so there's so many times where, you know, I'm getting a, a volume level, you know, or whatever. And I, or I'm just trying to, I don't even know the lyrics exactly. And I'm, just trying to get, you know, and, and like, it's so funny that the amount of effort and, and sort of emotional, uh, whatever that you put into it for those last few takes. And then you find out you're just going back to like that second take anyway, you know, because like that second take was the one where you weren't really, I'm not doing the finalized stuff. I'm just doing whatever. And you're like, yeah, it's actually way cooler <laughs> yeah. than when I was like hyper-focused on every single note, make sure I get the right note, you know? Um, yeah. I love that mentality. And I think, I think in the rock and roll biz, there's so much to be said about, yeah, sometimes the gut instinct is the right thing. You know what I mean? There's so many times where that's the move and the moment you start overproducing it or overthinking it, you know, sometimes it's cool, but a lot of times it's like, okay, well now you're sucking the soul out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Too much. When you allow yourself to have too much time in the studio, as opposed to yeah. sometimes having a fire under your ass, it's like you yeah, end up dude. getting too much opportunity to change things around. I, I, I feel like you'll appreciate this, this a uh, little bit of Ross insight about something uh, technical where um, the first time we met with him and recorded with him, we did like a, we, we did a tryout thing where we did one song with him and when he was getting everything ready, he pulled out the microphone that he records all of his all the vocals with. And it's mm -hmm. the same microphone that he's used since <laughs> the first record that he still uses today. It's this Whoa. like just it's a tank, right? Yeah. This thing is like <laughs> been through wars. This thing is so <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so he's pulling it out and setting it up. And he's telling me how he's done every record with it. And I'm looking at this thing being like, oh my God, I get to yell into this thing that like Jonathan Davis fucking Robert, yeah. Robert Smith, you know, Daryl Palumbo, yeah. like Cedric, like all these legends sang into this thing. And I'm like, right. man, I'm now about to be a part of that legacy in a way. But then I was like, where did you get it from? And he says, well, it originally was Nick Caves and it belonged to the studio Indigo Ranch that nice. I used to record out of. He's like, but I mean, a ton of records have been recorded on this. And he goes, I mean, Leonard Cohen's album, The, Fu uh, the Future, was recorded on this microphone. Oh my gosh. And like <laughs> Leonard Cohen is my guy. Like that's yeah, my yeah. end all be all. And when yeah. he told me that and he didn't know he doesn't we had just met that day. Right, right. He didn't right. he didn't know my my anything I was into. Yeah. And all the guys in my band just turned and looked at me and I was just like <laughs> I don't even know what to say right now. They're man. like, he's about to overthink this. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, and, a, and, a, and an awesome backstory. So when Indigo Ranch closed and they were like, I guess selling off all the equipment, um, was around the time that he got hired on to do the Cure record, and the label was like, what do you need for us to be able, you know, for you to do this yeah, record? Yeah. And he didn't say like, I need X amount of million dollars. I need you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. He just said, yeah, I yeah. need you to buy that microphone for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, amazing yeah so that so he's he a believer got, in the microphone exactly it's just it's that's so great. cool uh that's all right moving, moving this along what was your first concert 
My first concert that I went to on purpose as an individual, uh, like I said, my, my parents took me to a bunch of stuff, um, that I'm sure was pretty cool, but I don't, I don't know exactly. What you don't were, remember any I, of those instances? I mean, I know I saw like Skinner. I saw, okay. um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, CCR. Um, wow. There's okay. Some, like, yeah, there's probably some great ones that I wasn't, I, I was like, you didn't really retain them. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I wish I had my brain now to go, oh, okay, what are they doing? What are they doing? I, yeah. you know, let's, let's, uh, write notes. Um, but I was just like, I like this music, you know? Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, hum, toadies, and bush. That was my first on purpose concert. Is at the who Fox he- Theater here. Who headlined? Bush headlined. Yeah, and I think hum played first. first. I might be wrong on that part. That, no, um, that hum, sounds right. Um, uh, I liked hum. Well, I I liked I knew and liked more of the hum songs. Um, I like Toadies. Toadies. I, in fact, I I, I kind of rock that Toadies record pretty hard these days. But um, back in those days, I only knew like a couple of those songs. Um, but but Hum was so sick. And uh, if you like Deftones, obviously you like Hum totally uh, because there's times where I'm like that. That's just a Hum song. <laughs> yeah, I'm like listening to old Deftones going. That's actually just Hum uh, yeah. with a different vocalist. Um, uh, but, uh, but I love both, but, um, but anyway, that was my first show and I'm that I was inking, I was inching my way into music. I was in, but that was the like defining moment of like, I mean that day, that night I was legit. That was it. Uh, this is what I'm going to do as best as I can help it for the rest of my life. Like I, I went to every show after that. It all it started with arena rock stuff. It started with like pumpkins and 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 because uh, that, that's all I knew. And then that trickled down to to smaller stuff. And I I I, I don't remember what my first show at the Masquerade was, but I was like, whoa, this is like you can go right up to the front and like you know what I mean. Like it's not like yeah. untouchables. It's actually like and then and then that turn you know turned into dude anything and everything, but. But you know, stuck mojo, unsane, um, uh, uh, you know, all that stuff. And and then once I realized it was like this punk rock scene where you you can spend way less money and actually go like probably meet the bands. Like that that was it, dude. I was like, I've got like seven bucks, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't even have the the thirty forty something bucks to go see the the big arena stuff, but I had like seven dollars to go see whatever band. And so yeah, like that would just be. I mean, that's what we did. That's you'd be like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? It's like, oh, I'm going to go up to Masquerade, see who's playing. Like, I'm going to pay the money, go into the Masquerade, watch a few songs. If I don't like it, I'll leave. But that's yeah. what, that's what we do. And, and so, and when I say we, it's all, it's the, the sort of the original Norma Jean folks, you know, which uh, at that time we weren't that yet, but we, but we were the guys who were just like, I mean, we were in it to win it, man. We, any band i mean i went and saw bands i didn't like you know like uh just to, to if, if someone just had to go yeah or whatever i'm like i just want to see i i, I wasn't a, a big fan of like no doubt but like my my friend had a ticket to go see i was like i'll go see that <laughs> like, yeah i'll go see some like you know that, that and that, and that was the first time i ever saw um like every single member of every single band during the no doubt set just come and stage dive vroom, 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 at the same time and i was just like that's amazing like yeah like dude that's like the energy went from like already like people that loved 
no doubt and stuff was i mean it, the energy was up and then all of a sudden it went more you know and um and so yeah i dude i i was in it dude like and and uh i went and saw everything i could possibly see um if i couldn't afford it like that was, i mean it was a it was gut-wrenching if i couldn't go totally to the show you know what i mean um and so yeah that 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 brain is still in me today like 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 i <clears throat> i'm in a spot you know i mean I, I know quite a bit of bands stuff like that and we live in atlanta so like you know close enough to atlanta that there's shows all the time and so yeah i'm not i'd be lying if i was like i still go to every single show it's like i don't but like dude i go to a ton you know what i mean and uh and honestly post pandemic like dude i've paid for more shows in the past like three four years like like as a fan just bought and went to yeah. shows. uh i've done more of that in the past four years than probably the last like you know 10 pre-2020 because you know what i mean like when yeah. it's your job you just kind of like well i'll probably just stay home you know that's also fun compared to the fact that next two months i'm gonna be doing you know yeah um but post pandemic dude you know twiddling your thumbs for a year and a half two years i was like dude i went to every show man <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah it's the classic you know you don't know what you got till it's gone yeah um, yeah for sure uh, what was your first show oh uh nine inch nails and david Sick. bowie but wow. but I, you, i'm i'm gonna tell you right now i did not appreciate david bowie in 1995 <laughs> you know what i'm saying like that like you yeah, mentioned yeah. you mentioned having the brain that you have now going back yeah. and those shows with your pops like it was the same thing Gosh. for me i was like where's nine inch nails yeah. um amazing yeah and then but then the show after that uh which <clears throat> which did have a huge huge impact was um weezer's last show before they broke up for those couple years before the green yeah. album so it was like yeah. it was right after it was after pinkerton and yeah, it was yeah. and it was in Before a the rentals totally and it was in in a a venue that only that was probably like a maybe like a thousand cap as opposed to the arena Sick. that the nine inch nails yeah, show yeah. was on um so yeah that was that was a huge one hey there do you need to get some merch printed my incredible sponsors over at anchorfish printing has a great deal going on right now you can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email Michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. So... You obviously play guitar in 68. Was guitar your first instrument or did you ever play any instruments before that? <laughs> uh, no is the real answer. Uh, so in sixth grade, keeping in mind, this is before, you know, seventh grade when I got into real music and stuff, or at least music that I chose. Uh, I, sixth grade, I, I don't know how to explain this. I just had a, I, I wanted to play something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, how to explain that. Like, I just knew, I, I always feel like I've kind of always been an artist. I, I think we're all, I think everyone is an artist. That's a whole different topic. But like, I felt like I wanted to create something out of nothing. You know what I mean? Like I, from, a, from a kid um, on. So in sixth grade, some, a friend of ours uh, owned a saxophone 
And so that was like the only, like I couldn't afford to buy anything. So, um, in sixth grade, I, I did saxophone, uh, from sixth grade until for that year, that school year. And I kind of liked it. The, uh, the saxophone part of it, I liked, but the school class, nobody wanted to do, everybody was just like, "Eh." and I was like, I want to be a musician. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. like I just wanted to learn everything. I wanted to, I wanted to, I was practicing at home, not because I was supposed to, but because I just need, I wanted to master this instrument or whatever. And so this scenario of being in a class where you're still learning Mary had a little lamb, you know, six months into it or what, like, dude, it was draining. And I was like, I was like, oh, like that part of it, I was over. But in my mind, I was over the saxophone. But it was like, that was the thing that was bummed it, me out. Was it a situation where like, because you had access to that, it was just like, this is a conduit for my intro to like creating. Like, it didn't matter that it was a saxophone. Yeah. It was just like, that was the tool that was in front of you. And you're like, 100%. This, this is what it's going to be. If the dude had a clarinet, I'd have been a clarinetist. If the totally. dude had a, you know, our friend just happened to have a saxophone. If I um, if I handed you a saxophone through this computer screen right now, do you think you could play anything on it? Or like absolutely not, <laughs> absolutely not. I, so so sixth grade sixth grade year, I, I did it, and I and I really I, I didn't excel. Like I don't want to sound like I was phenomenal. I was just I just cared way more than any let's say ninety percent of the people in in that class. 90% of the people in that class were just like me. And I was like, I really like this. And so therefore I really excelled. But the moment I picked up a guitar, the moment I went to that Bush show, the moment I picked up, picked up a guitar, um, all that was behind me. And like, and I don't, I mean, I couldn't, I don't even know how to hold it right anymore or whatever. Um, and, uh, but, um, did your, did your dad or mom play guitar or anything like that or what? Okay. <clears throat> no, my, um, Basically, the short answer is that nobody really played any kind of music, uh, but there is a tiny, tiny, like my dad technically in the smallest way possible played some drums in like a local band back in the day when he was like younger. And so my mom thought it would be kind of cool to get him a drum set at one point in life. This is before I had a guitar. And so technically got him a drum set. He noodled around for a bit and then never touched him again. And then I don't know what it was, maybe three years later, four years later or whatever, I got a guitar. And so then like sort of because of that and almost with that in mind, you know, he pulled the drums back out. And so like, we kind of jammed a little bit, but yeah. I mean, we're talking like real basic, like four, four stuff, you know, uh, to say the least. You know, what, so. what, uh, what was your first guitar? My first guitar was a Kramer. Um, I don't know anything else about it. Sure. I, I, I'm it's not gone. A, I'm assuming you don't have it anymore. Yeah. It's probably in an attic somewhere at my mom's house, but, uh, but it's, uh, no, it's gone. It's, it, it was smashed. Definitely. <laughs> that was one of, that was one of the downfalls of, of having Nirvana as your favorite band. Uh-huh. You, you didn't keep any of your, <laughs> any of your guitars never lasted. <laughs> I played, I played guitar in bands and I don't have a single guitar. That's not yeah. like missing, <laughs> like, like tuning pegs or yeah. yeah I, 100%. Yeah. I, it's unfortunate when you get into music, whether it's Nirvana or like fucking 
the Dillinger escape plan where you're like, oh, I need to throw my instrument as opposed to play it. As I know yeah, you yeah. can attest to that too. Obviously you played, yeah. in, you played in bands and did the same sort of stuff, but um, for sure. uh, what, do you remember the first song you learned how to play that you were like, oh man, I can do, actually do this. A hundred percent. I got a guitar and my friend uh, lived down the street. I wasn't raised in like a subdivision. I was, uh, uh, it was hard to explain, but basically I had to walk really, really far to any of my friend's house. Like, like we're talking sure. like a mile or so. Um, <clears throat> and so my friend uh, lived down the street. He, I told him on the bus ride home, I was like, yo, I got a guitar. And he was like, yo, I know how to play some stuff. Come over and I'll teach you some stuff. And I was like, sick, dude. It's so I literally grab my guitar and I walk all the way to his house and it's like pretty far, but back then that's all I knew. So I didn't really care, but it's hilarious how far it actually was. So I get to his house. He shows me like the seven notes that he knew of smoke on the water. And it takes me a second because it's, I'm yeah. just now holding a guitar for the first time, but I get it, you know, bum, 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 bum. And so I get it to the point. We kind of jam on that a little bit. And then I'm like, sick. I'm like, what else do you know? And dude, he like, he kind of like fumbles around. He's like, that's kind of all I know. <laughs> so I was like, dude, I like walked all the way over there with my guitar. And I remember being so bummed because I got that song kind of quick, you know? And I was yeah. like, dude, I'm about like in my mind, I was like, I'm going to leave here with like four songs, you know? And dude, he just knew like that little bit. And so I wore that song out because it's the only song that I knew how to play. And yeah, I, there's uh, a, there's a great story where, uh, Apparently, Dimebag Daryl and his brother Vinnie Paul, that was the first song that they learned how to play together. <laughs> nice. and, and apparently, like, their parents said in an interview, like, on, you know, one of those, like, reflection back on the history of Pantera or whatever. Yeah. That, like, they would play that song for, like, just four hours straight. Just that Same. riff. Just that Same, riff dude. over and over. And, you know, just, like, Vinnie playing the whatever. So, it's kind of funny that... that I love it. That I'll tell you what's cool. A starter what's cool pack. about it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's... I mean, dude, it's it's easy, but it's memorable. But it's cool, it's, yeah, and it's yeah. cool. It sounds rad. Um, I'll tell you what was cool about it. Um, I don't know if this is sort of like says something about me or if it says something about only learning one simple riff. But for the next, you know, I don't know, dude, it could have been two weeks or something. I have no idea. That's the only riff I knew. So I started toying around with. Because we weren't doing power chord versions of that riff, mind you. We're doing like single note versions of yeah, that of course, riff. Yeah, of course. Like, like, so, so I, but I, because it's the only thing I knew, I was toying around with like, what does it sound like on this string? What does it sound like if I do it on higher? And because I didn't know that, like, you can't do, it, it, I just didn't know what I know now. And so I was just trying stuff. And I think, you know, maybe this is kind of a, a hindsight uh, wisdom, but I think had I learned something else and something else, like I'd probably would have played those things instead of toying around. But I remember like specifically going, you know, at the 12th fret, the guitar sort of starts over. And so I remember like thinking like, cause I would hit the open note, but I'd, but I'd play, um, you know, whatever the 12, 13, 14, like whatever the 15th fret mm -hmm. or whatever the right fret is, but up higher. And I remember being like, Oh, it kind of sounds good again. You know, and like, I didn't connect like, oh, that's an octave. That's why that sounded. Yeah. But I remember literally just for like, whatever it was, maybe it was four days, maybe it was two weeks. I don't know when the next time I learned another song was, but 
I remember just playing that riff over and over. And like I said, like I realized like the high E and the low E, they were the same note. So when I play that riff on the high E, it still works, you know? So the little, these things kind of, these dots started connecting. And I think it was because I wore that riff out so much, you know? And, uh, yeah, and so, yeah that, that was something that was kind of fun for, for the, for the, to have learned only one uh, riff at a time. So how long did it take before you started your first band and what was your first band? Oh, immediately. <laughs> I was I so my first band was uh what became Norma Jean. Um we we were called something different before then, but it was it was uh <clears throat> it was legit just like I said, so so my first show Bush Toadie's Home the person that was with me was Daniel who played drums in Norma Jean. But at the time he was just my friend's little brother. Right. So I went with a friend named Katie and her little brother came along and it was just this like 12 year old or something with green hair. And, and it was cool. He's a good hang, you know? And so like me and him like kicked it at that show. And then, um, so I went to middle school with, with a sister, but then I became friends with him. And that, that was, you know, that like I said, he just ended up being the drummer of, of Norma Jean and stuff. And then, um, I was friends with, uh, yeah, basically just anyone that, that basically the people who, who immediately was like music is everything and yeah. what that meant back then was just, we listened to it all the time and we yeah. wore all their shirts and stuff, but, and we go to shows but those people just so happened to be one of my favorite drummers of all time it ended up being. And, and then, you know, I, I taught, uh, I think this is a true story. If it's not true story, it's really, really close to true, but I'm pretty sure this is a true story. I taught Durr who ended up being the guitarist of Norma. I taught him how to play like a power chord and right. then and then showed him that, yo, you can play a power chord and you can move it all the way up and down the guitar neck. And then it's always going to be right. You know, as far as like that, that power chord, that, that, that shape of a chord, I taught him that. And then, you know, fast forward six months, eight months, whatever it was, uh, he ended up, I was, I was like, man, I really want a second guitarist in my band. And he became that guy. And, um, yeah, so I mean, literally, we just happened to be the same folks, and we were so—I guess we were just so in love with music that it, 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 the path was bound to be. We were going to be musicians, but we were in a small enough town, not Atlanta. We were small enough that we, we were all we had, and there was a couple other guitarists here and there, and those, those few other bands that existed in high school and stuff. But like, they were doing more like. Um, I mean, I, I liked Rage Against the Machine, but they were doing more of that sort of stuff. And, and at the time we were doing what we were doing. So it just, it just kind of worked out. Um, so the first band was uh, that I ever started or did or whatever was what became Norma Jean. Um, but it was purely like yeah. luck of the draw. I just happened to win the lottery of being born around really good musicians that were right. really passionate about what we were doing, you know. <clears throat> um, also, I want to throw out there, uh as someone who also played in bands that were very new metally uh this is a safe space uh I, the band was ludicrous you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I you know <laughs> I, I I like obviously the band changed every you know I think anyone who's familiar with with 
uh, the stuff you've done knows that whole sort of story. And like, um, you know, I, it's so, it's so funny, like how, again, you and I have so many things in common where like, I, you know, like my band out of high school, because I saw that the, you know, like you were considered a member of the band in like 97 or like the band started in 97. I'm assuming that's like that early era where you're all just figuring it out. It's almost kind of funny to consider it the band because you're like, we were still so young and like you guys probably didn't even record for a while, even though, cause like, yeah, it's like you're, you're teaching each other how to play music and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, most for most people's first bands I can relate to this are like, uh, yo, I play guitar. Do you play drums? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm going to get drums this Christmas. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's far. exactly how it worked out. Yeah. That's exactly how it worked out. It just happened to be Daniel Davison talking about the drums. You know right. What I mean? right. Right. But right. You didn't know that at the time. Totally. <laughs> just, he wasn't Daniel Davison. This. Yeah. I mean, he's one of my favorite drummers. He just happened to be. Yeah. He just happens to be my best friend. But like, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. It was like, yo you love drums yeah i love guitar yeah 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 yeah. let's jam <laughs> um so you, you know with uh and also like everyone's first fucking band names are always terrible that's like one of the highlights yeah. of this show where like you know you a lot of people would be like i don't want to say what it is and you're just like this is a safe space you know we all make yeah, yeah. you're allowed to be young and have silly band names and, and right, or right. like have put out silly music and stuff like that so like um, I think for most of us, we all do realize that like Norma Jean was the true start of like yeah. the whole era and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> but, um, you know, Ludacris did put out an LP, which had to have been a pretty exciting situation, considering the fact that like you're getting it out on a, on a bigger label, it had mass, you know, distribution and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that you guys did uh, some stuff before that with Pluto Records, which is out of Texas. Which is yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like I had a few friends that I think put out stuff like that band Horse the Band, who we shared a yeah, practice sure. space with for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I know they did something on Pluto and stuff. Um, but I was actually curious before I guess we get to recording, what was the first show you ever played? Like what was that band's first show? So there there's a few stages you could talk about. The first show literally yeah. was a party that I threw at my house okay. uh, on New Year's Eve. And I, I swear to you, the whole discussion behind it was like, let's, we'll throw a party so that we can play. Totally. <laughs> like, yep. like we'll throw a party, but it has had nothing to do with like, is this going to be a cool party? Is this going to be, is it New Year's Eve? It's like, we just want to play in front of people. And so we're going to throw a party purely for that reason. And again, I lived out in the like, uh, well, I'll tell this little tidbit because it's fun. Yeah. My parents had maybe, uh, I don't know six to eight acres or something like that, which is fine and handy. But we were backed up to this guy, Red Palmer, who invented the tranquilizer dart. So he had 600 <laughs> acres. Yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> he had 600 acres behind. That's what my backyard was. Right. And so I was born and raised there. I had no idea we didn't have just infinity forest behind us. You know what I mean? Like I just thought like, so anyway, my point and even bring that up right now is the fact that we could make us, we could be as loud as we wanted. It did not matter. Um, and so anyway, we had a party and, and, and people came out, a, a lot of people came out and then, and then we, we played, it seemed to go well. I don't know what that even looks like anymore, but like, I don't know, like 
People like, didn't I, I leave could, and you weren't booed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. I would love, love to see it like now and be like, no, they weren't actually enjoying themselves because now I have a real good read on you know what that are, looks like. like. Themselves. But back then, I was just like, dude, they love hearing me feedback for forty minutes. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but it was huge. It, it, it wasn't huge. It was it was it was it was packed in this little basement that we had. And so anyway, that started the like oh well so we did another party later and then we did another party and 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 another friend of ours had a spot that we could we could have a party at so we did that and uh so that became that and then um but what i consider our first show ever like that's more realistic um this band uh training for utopia which they just played furnace fest and i wasn't able to go see it and i was real gutted uh training for utopia and warlord um, they played, um, the Georgia tech, uh, under the couch, um, in Atlanta <clears throat> and Daniel, the drummer of us literally just called under the couch and was like, yo, we would go like our music would sound so good with these folks. We'd love to play. And they just said, yes. And so we had never tried it before, never done it before. And it worked. And we were like, whoa we're on the show and yeah. like, he answered the phone and it's like, dude, we're on the show. And we we're like, wait, we're just on the show. Cause like, we love to train of utopia. And I, and I grew to love warlord. I didn't know them at that moment, but I've seen them live and stuff. The falling cycle EP. <laughs> so good, dude. It's so good. I jammed it literally the other day. Um, yeah. but, uh, so anyway, so we go, we, we, I don't even know how you look stuff up back then. Sure. I can't remember, but we looked up where they were going next and where they were going next was Birmingham, Alabama. And so we tried there. We called there. We were like, hey, we're a band. Uh, we, we, Sonic, musically, we sound similar. Like, it'd, it'd be sick if we could play. And the guy just said, yes. That guy was Chad Johnson, who runs Furnace Fest now. And be, it was our A&R guy for a long time wow. in, 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 in Solid State and stuff like that. And so, so we show up. So, so we, we, our first real show that, that I would consider like in a real venue, um, was one of our favorite bands, Training for Utopia. And, and then we not only got to play the one show, we got to play two shows. We got to play that Atlanta show and then we got to play Birmingham, Alabama. And, <clears throat> and so for us, again, it, it, it almost, it like sort of scratched the itch of like, whoa kind of a tour you know but also it like uh worsened our fever of like we've got a tour like we've got to go out there you know and uh and so anyway yeah it was so sick because the the second show being birmingham alabama that was chad johnson and literally i mean he is like a gigantic reason that i am where i am today um was that and was that like 98 99 you think or was that earlier like so i if i'm not mistaken i think the the we signed to solid state i think in like 99 so yeah. this would have had to have surely i'll tell you this I, yeah it was before 99 because i had to skip school to do it we 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 literally so i think one of the shows is on a saturday but one of them was on a friday or something like that and i had to like skip school or at least basically i had to like beg my parents which they were all really cool but like all of us had to convince our parents that this is worth missing school for <laughs> were you so, were you playing guitar in the band at first and then you became 
just the singer? Like, how did that play out? Very, very originally, yeah. Like the the show at at my house that was a New Year's Eve party. Like I played guitar, um, and then we wanted a, I, and then I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to be a vocalist. I was like, man, I just want to sing. I don't want to have to play guitar and sing. And uh, so sometime later, that's when Durr, Durr was always around, or the guitarist of Norma Jean. He, he was always around. Uh, we were, he was like one of the only friends we'd, we'd allow at practice. We were very specific, like no girlfriends at practice. Like they're a distraction, like no friends. No, nothing. But he, for some reason, was able to come. And so, yeah, when uh, when I was like, I just want to sing. I don't, I don't want to play guitar and sing. Like he, that's when he joined. And so, totally. Um, but yeah, by, by those training for Utopia shows, I mean, it was, it was set the way it was. Like I wasn't playing guitar at the time. Um, was your first recording experience that split EP that yeah. Lucas did? Okay. How, what was your first, yeah. what was your first recording experience like? It was bummer. <laughs> we enjoyed ourselves. I mean, we were like, wow, this is, I can't remember all the, like, I wish I remember the details. I wish I remember where it was, but the very, very first recording we ever did, we went down to Texas and we were recording for this split EP thing. And and we were like really, really honored and grateful to be even doing this, you know, and it was with, it ended up being with like Pluto records, but so, you know, we loved the band Willhaven still to this day. Dude, El Diablo, man. And so it rips. And yeah. uh, that's another band that played Furnace Fest uh, the other day. And I wasn't able to go. But anyway, yeah. um, but so anyway, their bass tone was always, I mean, every album I've ever done, I've referenced that bass tone. Like, I want something. That, there's got to be a song that sounds like that, just kind of snotty and just like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just so anyway. Blown out, hyper. Dude, yeah. Just sick. And so. So um, even at that moment, even that sort of early on version, I was like, I want something that sounds really just distorted and fuzzy and bass. So I remember literally going, he had this, we had plugged the bass into something and, and I was like, I went to turn a knob on the, the distortion, let's call it, I don't know what it was, but the distortion of the bass or whatever. And the producer guy, if you call him that was like, Oh, uh, let's not touch too much. Like, let's just stick to the presets because like, I don't really know how to like, if you mess something up, I won't know how to get back to it and all this stuff. And I didn't know a ton about music. I sure didn't know anything about recording, but I know you don't stick to the presets. Right. Nobody like no good band is like, go to that preset. That's the thing that I like you dial it in. You That's the starting point, you know? And I remember just being like, Oh, so we just have to like, cycle through these what 12 presets and that's all our options are like there was a bunch of that type stuff on that recording and not to say that it the songs would have been any cooler necessarily but there's plenty of things where it's like we were just this is what you got you know i mean look that's a it's a learning lesson and it's also one of these (laughs) things that you if you're catching that right off the bat that's showing your intuition you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're just yeah, like, yeah. Sure. I don't think that's how you're supposed to do this. Yeah. I think that you're supposed to be able to experiment and make cool things. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, like, again, you know, though it obviously turned out not the way that you all maybe would have hoped, but it still taught you that, like, oh, oh yeah. we need to be able to have room to experiment and I'll find you, sounds. So it's funny, I, I wasn't mentioning Ludacris the name earlier, uh, but those so that AP and then, and then the full length we ended up doing with, with solid state, 
I would not change anything about them because they are so specific to who I am today. And I'll go into that just a little bit. Fast forward to us doing the um, the uh, full length. So we were supposed to go to Pointer's Palace, which did the Living Sacrifice record. It did the Zayo record. It was it was it was it was raw and it sounded cool. It was great. <clears throat> we were supposed to go there. Uh, Juliana Theory went way over there recording time. Uh, thanks, Brett. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and so we so so point uh, the dude was like, I can't. I got to take a break. I can't do y'all's record. We were gutted. We were just like, Ugh. then then Solid State gets this offer from um, uh, Guga Garth and up in uh, Vancouver, <clears throat> and his assistant was like, "Yo, I, I, I assume this out went out. Yo, yeah. I'll record for I'll record someone for pretty cheap because I'm just trying to get my name out there." And Guga Garth has taken a break. So I don't really know how that went down, but all I know is we get called and we're like, they were like, yo, we're flying you to Vancouver, Canada, which we had never been at that time Yeah, to to Canada, but it's also on the West coast of where we're from. And you're going to be in Brian Adams studio and ACDC was just here and Christine Aguilera was just there. You know what I mean? Like literally just like name, name, name. And we're just like, oh my gosh. So we go and did we have a good time? Yeah, we had a great time. But, and again, I have no regrets. This is why I am who I am. But uh, I could tell you a ton of things that were fun and amazing and stuff that I learned in a good way. But I'm going to just stick to the thing that altered me the most. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> that was very, very much a yes sir, no sir record. We were, it was our first record. And so we didn't know to be like, and we're really, really young. I mean, I, I had to be, uh, I was either 18, maybe 19. I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe younger. I don't know. But yeah. Anyway, I was, I was young <clears throat> and, and all these names, like I said, dude, all these, all these names had recorded there. And so we're just, I mean, we would like hang out at night and be like, I guess this is how you record a record. But, but like we had these like ideas of like this wild slide guitar and the guy was like, Oh, we can't do that. That's not, like he and he'd be like, I gotta sign my name to this too, you know, and like we just be like, oh, okay, and so we were just it was very yes or no, sir. We 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 did what he wanted, and I can now listen to it and go from a business make money standpoint. He probably was right. <laughs> sure, like he probably was doing the thing that he thought was the most correct thing to do. Yeah, uh, but from the artist's standpoint it's like that wasn't our record like that wasn't the thing like there was like I I predominantly screamed the whole time like that was the thing I was really comfortable with and I sang a little bit here and there but like that's not the thing that I I knew I wasn't a good singer I still don't think I'm a good singer but like I knew back then like that's not but I mean he would just be like oh sing this line and i'm like sing what like now you're invent melodies like i you know what i mean like i have a screaming part and now you're telling me to like write a melody on the spot in the middle of like you know we got like and 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 so i'm so he's telling me to do this thing that i'm very uncomfortable doing like in the sense of like i'm not i can't flex my singing ability you know what i mean like i've got a scream on me that i that I somehow can do, but like, so anyway, 
he's like, just sing it. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, just whatever comes, just sing. And I'm like, okay. And so I'd sing a part and then he'd be like, okay, do this, this. Like, okay. And then all of a sudden he'd be like, okay, that, yeah, let's do three takes of that. And then I'd be like, really? This is a heavy part and you want me to say, whatever. My point is, I'm not saying he was right. I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm saying it did not feel like I left going, that's my record. You know what I mean? Right. And as a band, we did not feel like we left going, that's the thing we set out to do. Mm. We were mentally entering the world of Norma Jean. We were mentally wanting something raw, something, something not every note's perfect, whatever. So that album comes out. <clears throat> we literally, the tour we're doing on that record, the, the record comes out, we're doing a tour. We are, I think we're on tour with Zayo. We play two songs from that album. That's it. Every single thing else we play is future Norma Jean stuff. We don't even start with an out with a song from there. We don't end with a song from it. It's it becomes this thing that at the time felt a little negative. We were just like, that's not the thing. And then um, I don't know when, but some shift happened, and we were like, that's not us. Like like confidently, like that's not us. We're changing our name that's not the style. Like we're not that band. Yeah. And so, um, so when we fast forward, we go to Adam D to record, uh, from kill switch and we sort of walk in going, by the way, this album's going to be recorded live. It's going to be in the studio. I'm going to use a handheld mic and that's what's happening. And Adam D is so cool. I don't know if you know him. He's so cool. He goes, okay. And we were like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, Okay, like we came in hard, dude. We yeah. were like, this is how this is going to get done. I don't care what you say. And then he was just like, cool. From and a, we were just like, And it's because oh. like from a producer standpoint, I'm sure he was like, well, that just makes us a lot easier. You just want to do a live? All <laughs> yeah, right, right, shit. Exactly. Yeah. So so we, we came in so hard and then he's so cool and so easygoing. And dude, he would literally tell us, he'd go, there, there's a song, I can't remember the track titles, it's after the 15-minute song, so nobody's really heard of it um, <laughs> on the on the Norma Jean record. Nobody listened past the 15-minute song, but uh, but we, we had a song, and we were like, we basically recorded it, and we had him do like a quick mix of it, and then we put distortion on top of the mix. So basically the whole thing, drums, vocals, guitar, that thing, that two tracks of left and right, put a distortion pedal on that. And he, I remember him very bl- bluntly going, I think this is a bad idea, but if this is what you want to do, I'll do it. And that's the thing I fell in love with. That's where I was like, okay, that as far as I'm concerned is how records should be done. There's other producers that I've met along the way that would disagree. They're like, Hey, you've hired me for a reason. And that's fine. I think there's bands that need that. There's bands that need to be told yes and no. Bands that are looking for guidance, bands that are looking for the outside opinion. Of course. Exactly. Uh, I've just never been in that kind of band. I'm, I am, I'm open. I'll hear anything. I'll I'll travel down a path, but at the end of the day, I need to know that as cuckoo as my idea might be, we'll go with it because if it fails, it's It's on on you. Yeah. And, And if it succeeds, it's on me. And at the end of the day, I've always been in small bands that, you know, we've never like made money doing this, like really, really. So I'm not, I don't need top, you know, top 40 has never been a thing for me. So it's like, 
at the end of the day, like 20 years later, I need to still believe in the record. I still need to like think like, hey, yeah, I wouldn't have done that today. But I remember where I was mentally when I did that and I did it, you know, and that's, that's, that's made me who I am. So those first two ludicrous things, like I, no regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. There's like a co-producer of the Ludacris record, which is Jesse from Zayo, right? So, yeah. And I'm wondering, if he, was he present in the studio or was that like helping you guys write songs leading up to it? So when we were supposed to go to Pointer's Palace, Jesse was going to produce the thing. So it was going to be us, Jesse and Pointer's Palace, which would have been very, I think would have been a, a thing that we were very into. Maybe, I mean, the songs were the song we were, yeah, young, we sure. were you know, like I, I, I but, but sonically it would have been something that we sort of uh to oversimplify things that's what we, we signed up for yeah you know we're on solid state it's a heavy album uh, a heavy record label we're gonna do things a little raw a little little you know whatever um and then so so i think we we went to his house uh i don't know maybe a couple days and he kind of just sort of produced like he was like uh heard the he songs was, uh, maybe talked about the structures yeah, things like that that yeah like literally so, so, something as was like that breakdown is weak <laughs> you know like like if you're gonna give me a breakdown give me a breakdown you know yeah and we're just like whoa yeah okay um and so so yeah so he that that's as much as he co-produced and then unfortunately when we flew to vancouver they legit were like we're having a pay for five plane tickets we're not gonna right. pay for and when we have person. like a real producer there you know so um so no he wasn't there and he and and i i um you know i love him to death and i i, I genuinely think uh who knows what the outcome would have been but i think it would have been a better totally i was just yeah i was curious like if if there was any with him being there presently or if it was like helping with the song structures leading up to it. Cause that's something that happens. Like I, I myself did that with uh, the band gouge away. Like I, I went and worked with them on the songs and then they went and recorded it with Jack Shirley in, in a, in the Bay area. And I wasn't present for it, but like there's that co-producer sort of credit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was curious if it was a similar sort of thing. Um, it was a little bit like that. He would have been a much bigger deal. Had we just went to pointers palace. Originally. Yeah. Who knows he what would have happened been there. And, yeah. Yeah. And like, but I know him well enough to know he, any, weird idea to be like yeah let's try it you know? right 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 <laughs> um so you know what's interesting with everything you know the story of of what happened with Ludacris, and then you guys sort of rebelling against that record wanting to sort of distance yourself and stuff i think that you can sonically hear that pushback 
and the and Norma Jean that plus the Martyr record being a reactionary record to everything that came before. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure you were conscious of that in the moment, but when reflecting back on that so many years later, like, are you able to even hear that being like, oh no, this is a reaction to all 100%. of it? 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we knew it at the time. I mean, we, <clears throat> Norma Jean, the, the title that was Norma Jean and us doing Bless Mark, that was us being in control of the narrative. Right. And what I mean by that is we, I mean, not in a, I don't want to sound, sound ungrateful. I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. But, at, but at that point in our lives and, and, and musically where I wanted to be and where we all wanted to be, if we would have came up to a producer that was like, this is how you're doing it and you're doing it, this is, da, 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 and they were, they wouldn't budge at all. We'd have walked away. You know what I mean? Like I'm at a spot now where it's like, I'll walk away because I'm not, not again, not trying to sound cooler than thou, just that's not how I work. And if we're not going to work together, what's the point? I'm not doing you any favors. You're not doing me any favors. And I'm not going to release something I don't think's in my opinion, really, really great. You know? So for, so, in so once the, once it's called Norma Jean, which is why I, I didn't even like reference yeah, the old yeah, name yeah. because that wasn't really like, it wasn't our, we weren't in control of the narrative. We were just kids playing around and someone just sort of captured that in a, like when we did the EP, someone just sort of captured that. But like, I think it's the next thing. I think it's cool for people to hear you explain all that, though, because I think there's a lot of people who can relate to how you guys felt. And sure. And, sure. and sometimes doing something as simple as changing your name in the in the moment can feel counterproductive because now you have to reeducate people and all right. of that sort of stuff. But it could also be incredibly empowering because now you're sure. in control of what's going to happen next. And I yeah. think that you guys were a prime example of of that thing specifically. Yeah, like like when I, I would like draw and do like graffiti stuff and I would always sign it ludicrous when I was in like uh, middle school and then and then and then uh, yeah. uh, first two years of high school. So when I in my sophomore year, when I started what would become Norma Jean we just needed a name to play that new year's eve show yeah. and so i was like well i tie everything <laughs> with this so that that became that was just the name um the the it was misspelled but the definition was hysterically funny and i thought that was great i was yeah. like oh that's cool and so but yeah but by, by the time we're really moving and shaking you know it's like that's not who we are like those were things that just sort of faded into existence those weren't our, us going here's here we are this is what we do and so changing the name was very very important with us thankfully what's funny is people usually get this story backwards but we were very grateful for the rapper Ludacris because he was our scapegoat he was the reason i i, I we we tried to change the name for a while um with solid state because it just wasn't us anymore it wasn't yeah. anything i mean even the mis misspelling of it all of it was just like that's not who we are and uh and they were just like no 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 and then this dude from atlanta is blowing up and at that point he hadn't blown up he wasn't like the guy but like you'd hear trickles and and so we were like yo yo there's this thing's happening so yeah we now we can't have well, the no. name <laughs> they, they'd be dude they'd seriously be it's funny now thinking about how big he became and stuff but at the moment they'd be like well we'll make him change his name and we were just like uh no 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 um you know uh like 
it's basically we used him to be like we're changing and then and then once he kind of like really started blowing up we they um reluctantly uh you know we because yeah they're thinking pure business like totally. we gotta rebrand we gotta restart you over and i'm like dude it'll be fine trust me we're not that big <laughs> one time when we were playing in atlanta we went to the to the whole foods there and uh ludicrous the rapper was there and um nice and we all were like oh shit there's ludicrous and uh Amazing. the guy the guy that was doing merch for us was like i was like i'm gonna try to get a picture with him when he comes out so we like we're kind of just like lingering around the exit yeah and he you know he it's one thing to do that. Like I have, you know, I'll, I'll be shameless and ask people for photos if I'm like a big fan or something, but he like had yeah. all his kids with him and stuff. So we're like, maybe you shouldn't do it today. But he was like, no man, I'm going to do it. So as he was coming out, he did the like ludicrous did the most classy shutdown I've we've ever seen. And we always talk about it to this day where yeah. he comes walking out with his, with his kids and stuff. And our buddy Alex walks up and goes, Hey dude. And like clearly giving the, Hey, can we get a photo sort of ad- attitude? And yeah, Ludacris yeah. looks at him and the rest of us and just goes and just cuts him off and goes, Nice to meet you guys, and just keeps walking. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most classy Amazing. shutdown ever. He's like, nice yeah. to meet you guys, and just keeps walking. It was so- that's actually pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's that's uh you're not necessarily dashing the dreams by going no. Yep you're saying a positive thing. Nice to nice meet, to you, meet guys, you guys. It just keeps walking. It was, brilliant. it was brilliant. Um, that is good. That uh, is good. I got to ask when <clears throat> that record, the blessed martyr record came out. I mean, I'm living in California. So like, I can't, you've probably been told this for years, but like that record exploded in a way that just like changed. I feel like the metalcore sort of culture where like <clears throat> that was an un- an undeniable record that whether you listen to converge whether you listen to zaya whether you listen to this that or the other thing like earth crisis everybody yeah. loved that record <clears throat> and i was curious if you guys felt that immediately or was that something that occurred to you as time went on like maybe even after you left the band um well, th- first of all, thank you. It's all very nice things you just said. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I left the band band pretty early. So, but we, there was definitely some like waves being stirred as we toured and as we, and we couldn't really put our finger on it or anything on why, but it was, you know, the, you could sense some stuff was happening. Um, but none of us even remotely cared because we were just happy to play shows. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? Like we were, we were legit. Like, I mean, every tour was a good tour, even if it actually wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, and, and we were landing, I mean, we had a converge hate breed tour that we were just like, this is hilarious. You know what I mean? Like, this is like every member of this audience is a older than us and b could beat us up so bad you know what i mean like and yet they're and yet they're kind of liking us you know like yeah it's not a lot liking us so i remember i have a story where i <clears throat> we had played and i went off i don't know grab by teeth or whatever i was doing and on the way back i guess uh hate breed had finished or something and dude there's these three just like jock looking dudes just they're coming straight for me and i'm all alone and like 
and I and I I don't have anyone like nobody's with me, and I was just like, oh my gosh, they're like, I don't know why my brain went to this, but I was just like, they're about to just pummel me. I mean, they're making a beeline for me, and I'm like tense, and I'm like kind of just not don't make eye contact, don't make. And dude, they come straight up to me, and they're just like, that was amazing, dude. And like said really really nice things, and I was just like. Oh my God. Like I tried to play it cool, but like, I was like, thanks man. You know, whatever or not. But I was like, I mean, cause we were full on like, you know, girls jeans and, and, and really yeah. you know, had nice hair and you know, things yeah. of that nature, yeah. which didn't seem to go well with the hate crowd, but they, you know, they really liked what we were doing and, and, uh, even converge, like getting to know those dudes and stuff like that. Like, you know, we, we're all, um, we're all kind of cut from a similar cloth, right. even though we may be on different sides of the cloth. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. But, uh, but it was, it was being on a tour like that. I mean, it was, dude, it was, I mean, we loved both those bands and like, especially Converge. We were just such fans of that band and like to get to know them and to be on that kind of tour was just like weird. So, so there was things happening and, and, and so you could kind of feel these waves being stirred and, and this sort of stuff. But, um, but you have to remember the time period. I mean, the biggest band in our world. Like, like if we if we talked, we would never ever ever talk about touring in a bus. Talking about touring in a bus back then was the equivalent of me and you talking about touring in a private jet. Totally. Like, yeah, you don't talk about it because it's not it's even joke-worthy. Like, yeah, that's not happening. Like we're just like you. Just, it never even entered our brains. And to think about that now is pretty funny because there's plenty of bands I know that tour in buses and 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 all the time. And it's like, but but so so for us to be creating these sort of waves is 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 a true statement. But you have to remember, like our the biggest we could ever get would still be you know, 500, 600 cap rooms, maybe 700 cap. You know what I mean? Like that's right. the reality we lived in. And, uh, and I remember that, that hate breed tour, like hate breed was one of the first bands that were clearly heavy, but they were, you know, selling out these like, you know, 750 to a thousand cap rooms, but that, but you know, we were full on Norma Jean by then. So like that was the exception to the rule. That wasn't the thing that was coming, you know? And so, uh, so anyway, when I left and I, and I did the chariot and of course I toured with Norma Jean a ton, uh, after that and stuff, we were all friends and stayed friends, but, um, that it was, it was definitely a hindsight thing where I was just like, for whatever reason, that album for a lot of people was kind of a gateway drug. 1000%. You know what I mean? Like, like, like there's some people like in around our age that, got to know it while it was happening but so many people I, for whatever reason i don't know why but so many people did not know heavy music did not even maybe like heavy music but somehow it got a hold of that record and that was the gateway drug that got them into a ton of heavy stuff and, now, and there's plenty of other bands i can be credited for other people's story but i, I hear that all the time obviously being in the chariot and then, and then 68 people come up and kind of like, I got a confession to make, you know, yeah. they, 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 they're like, that was the first album that was heavy like that, that, that then got me into. So I don't know why that happened, but cool. Uh, I'm very grateful. No, to be part it of was it. like a very <clears throat> specific time and place situation. I mean, you know, there's those records that happen every couple of years that I think really do 
bring people in that whether they were like kids that were into pop punk and then they found it or they were kids that were into new metal and then they found it or yeah. whatever it is it's like bless the martyrs one of those um you know jane doe from converge is one of those i think 100%. you know like and then going down the line like even bands like have heart or you know now there's like knocked loose and turnstile like there's always yeah. going to be era specific records that are that gateway and yeah, uh yeah. and you know it's just awesome that you were a part of one of them um it's really neat you know you mentioned doing the two shows uh with training for utopia but what was your first like full u.s tour or like first you know maybe two week or one week <clears throat> tour uh and do you remember still having that love for it like the excitement of like we need to get in the van and do this yeah i i have that excitement today uh i'm, I'm leaving for a thrice tour in like next week and i oh yeah and i love thrice but at the end of the day it could be with any, I mean, I just love touring. I have nothing but yeah. love and gratefulness to be able to play a show and much less a bunch of shows in a row. Um, so we were in a pretty unique scenario. So Daniel, our drummer, his, his dad lived in Texas, Dallas, Texas. So, Oh, that's <clears throat> that connection there then. Okay. Yeah. So we did, we did um, when, when, when a lot of bands were doing weekend warrior stuff, which was, I mean, Atlanta's big enough. You can do a weekend in Atlanta if you're a local band. Um, but but most bands would do their weekend warrior stuff, and they'd probably do Atlanta and maybe Nashville. The, the The state's connecting. But we, like, I don't know the first time we went to Texas, but basically, like, real quick, we were able to go to Dallas, Texas, and play a show because his dad lived there and he knew and and i think daniel would spend some of the summers there and so he got to know people and we just got a show and so it was really sick and 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 it, and it was really quick that we were like wait why are we driving all the way to texas let's play a show in uh birmingham we could play because we had done yeah. with chad's venue and we knew him so we could call him up and then we could do mississippi we could you know so so our weekend warrior stuff was very very quickly more like you know five to six day thing not just weekends and it was like all the way out to texas dallas texas and um and so we were very fortunate in that scenario um and we were doing that pretty quick um so i don't remember which one was the first of those but i'm sure it was a terrible just us headlining and playing in front of seven people that you know what i mean like it was it was just a show to be doing a show um i one time in, in in an old band we toured with a band with another band out of uh salt lake city who used to say as long as there's six people it's gonna be a good show <laughs> which had the best mentality of all time where i was like i Why love six? i love how low you put that bar but it, like as long as there's oh, yeah. six people and it's not yeah. just the other people in the bands it's gonna, yeah that's it it's gonna be a good you show. Know, the, the, there was a minute where uh you know where ska was a big thing yeah and uh and we were super not even in disgust or, yeah. or a band that should be with a ska band. But for some reason, Atlanta had a handful of ska bands. And I remember, you know, some like punk rock friend of mine was just like, oh, man, like you'll always play with ska bands. Like, like, what's up? And I was like, first of all, I don't have a choice in who we play with. You know, we're, we're just playing slim pickings out here. Yeah. But I'll say this. When two of the other bands have 20 members them plus their girlfriends is going to be a packed that's, show. That's a good <laughs> we gig. Like, we legitimately got to the point where we were just like, I kind of love these ska shows because there's always people there, you know? And I mean, there's legitimately a built-in like 
30 to 40 folks. 1,000%. All the horn players and their girlfriends and such. So what was, um, uh, what was your first time touring overseas? When was that? First time overseas, uh, there was this band called the blamed and they were on, uh, I think they were on tooth and nail. Um, but they, I don't remember how we got to know them, but they were really good friends. Are they're, they're from the Chicago area, but, um, they had done a tour over there. I have no idea how they did it. There's like these magazines that used to come out. Um, I think they're called literally uh, book your own effing life. Yeah. I think that's what they yep. were actually called. And uh, so the first time we were over there, we, we went over and did a festival. We got invited to play a festival. And then that festival said, uh, you can basically it was like, Hey, we'll throw like five shows for you to make it. And to me, it was like sick. So we did that the, the second time, which is what I was talking about. Um, uh, nine eleven happened on this day and the December after that. So, you know, a couple months after that, uh, that band, the blamed, um, was supposed to go over, I think was Zayo, but everything was so, you know, yeah. wild, uh, with the nine eleven stuff that Zayo was like, no. And so they called us and we were like, heck yeah, I'm not going to not go to, to Europe, you know? Um, and, and, I, and, but that was the second time we went, but it, that was an actual tour. That was like a full, I think we did, I, I dude, my memory is shot on that stuff, but, but I'm, but I know it was at least a month or, or, or three weeks or so, but, um, it was awesome. It was just, yeah, that was like the first, like, you know, you, you, and that's what, that sounds like drive to the next winter in europe too i feel like most people yeah. should really have their first winter or their first Dude. tour in europe be a winter one so you have the full experience of just like also, discomfort cold and yeah. tired and always wet yeah yeah dude you you might can relate to this being from california like i'm a southern boy yeah the warmest thing i had was like this stylish gap jean jacket that was like way too small for me that's the warmest thing I own that and some like torn up flannel. And so I'm over there, like all of us are over there and we are just freezing. We can't afford to go buy another jacket or anything oh. like that. Like we're legitimately, I remember like we were in a van and we are like purposefully like cuddling under a blanket. I think we found, I mean, we are like, dude, it was one of the most like freezing tours, but didn't even care. Like legit. That didn't even care, like just so stoked to be there, you know. It reminds me of the band uh Death Heaven, their first time yeah. over there. Their old guitar player similarly was like, I don't have nice winter clothes, <laughs> didn't yeah. think about it at all. So he was liter- literally going to the venues lost and found every night in the hopes to find <laughs> more. So he collected an entire <clears throat> winter attire. by just pulling from the lost and found at every venue because he was like i don't have winter clothes like i love that yeah um so i noticed that uh something i just you know briefly with the chariot obviously you guys put out a ton of records i'm sure we could devote another hour to that but like what i'm curious of is you seem to go to uh the producer matt goldman for like everything for seemingly like all the chariot records and a lot of 68 stuff um, yeah. I'm curious about that relationship and like, was it just <clears throat> someone who you feel understands your mentality when it comes to, you know, as you're describing all the studio experiences leading up to this, like, did you guys just have that connection where you're like, we understand each other, you know, like, <clears throat> can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So 
what's funny is we I, I had a strict rule like I will I don't I do not record in Atlanta like in the city I live in because I know my focus <laughs> but um but when you're in the city you live in recording strangest things happen like people be like oh yeah uh my girlfriend's having a birthday party like I'm gonna go to that and you're just like what are you if we were somewhere else, you just couldn't go to that. You're like, saying you know, like, we got to focus. It's nice to have to like not be able to be distracted by the comforts of home. Yeah, yeah. you have to be in a different city. That's what I thought back then, and yeah. that's what I fully was like, whatever. But so when I started the chariot, I owed Solid State a couple records still uh, via our contract, and so they had first dibs over whatever I did. And I love the label, uh, so I didn't care. Um, but they they gave me a little bit of money, sent me to a guy named Matt Goldman to do the demos <clears throat> just so they could kind of hear what they're, what it's about and if they wanted it and all this stuff. So we literally go to this guy who li- who's in little five points. So that's already sick. Um, like right by criminal records, right by all the stuff you'd want to hang out in. And so we do our demos with him. And honestly, from that moment, it was just, I mean, we just, I mean, at this point he's a friend of mine, but like we, he just, he got it. He got, he, he was cool. He was chill. Um, any cuckoo idea I wanted to do, he was like, we'll try it. You know, let's, let's try it. And, uh, and yeah, he was just a perfect guy to do. So everything in the chariot got recorded with him. And then when I started 68, so when the chariot, parted ways we 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 just we uh we had a bus on warp tour and we decided to part ways on warp tour like mid warp tour and, and there's reasons for that um uh the guitarist was having some family stuff and he was like i think this is gonna be my last tour because of this stuff and then someone else was like i've been trying to go to college i think i'm gonna do that and so anyway it just it fit all of us a perfect storm of like <clears throat> yeah now it's time to wrap and it we up. were like this is unarguably our biggest record we're the biggest we've ever been right now like what a great time to part to to dip you know um uh because because there's very rare uh, sometimes there's things you can control and things you can't control you know that um and and just life but so many times bands break up because oh they hate each other or oh they're not big anymore nobody cares like what a you know it, it happens but in the chariot with that discussion happening i was like what a great thing to call our own ending. You know what I mean? Like that's how I want to go out, you know? And so, um, so anyway, I only reason I bring all that up to say my very first call, uh, was my wife. And I was like, yo, uh, I think we just, uh, broke up, (laughs) you know? Um, but we're going to do this farewell tour thing. And then my second call was Matt Goldman. Um, and I was like, Hey, I want to book uh, studio time for December. Uh, and I told him that we were breaking up. He said, well, what's the studio time for? And I was like, well, I want a deadline for whatever it is I'm doing next, because I know if I overthink it, I'll overthink it. And I just want, I need it to be impulsive and I need it to be, you know, and I, and I had some ideas. I, you know, I kind of had sort of uh, <clears throat> some, some irons in the fire, so to speak of what I was, what, what was tickling my fancy at that point, you know, even the last chariot record, like if you listen to one wing, lots of the songs I wrote weren't the heavy, like I wrote 
the last song with the Charlie Chaplin speech in the middle of it. I wrote the um, the the spaghetti western bit. You know, uh, uh, I think Stevis wrote a song that I was like, "Ooh, that's really cool." But what if we just did it in in, in piano only? So it's just only piano and, and me. Like you know what I mean? So it's like I, I was. So, you know, the DNA for out. what was about to become. Yeah, sixty eight was there. I couldn't stand another. It, it couldn't be heavy just to be heavy. Like it had to be something spicy going on, whatever. And so, so anyway, when it happened, it felt very natural. It was like when we were parting ways. I was like, whatever. So I called Goldman, and uh, and yeah, I just wanted something to. I wanted it to be to where I had to go with my gut instinct and what, what do I like now? What am I, where am I at now? What do I want to listen to now? None of this overthinking stuff, you know, do I do another heavy record? Do I do another heavy band? Do I, and the only thing I knew for a fact, uh, and this was after a couple of weeks of like really kind of met again, we were in a bus, which we rarely ever had a bus, mm-hmm. but we were able to just sort of be in our own bunks kind of thinking about, <clears throat> but that's when I decided to do a two piece because I had never had to, I wanted to flip the script. You know, I wanted something fresh and new for me. I'd always been just a singer for the most part, always been just a singer. Um, And so I wanted to play guitar and sing. And and that, that was the thing that made it feel fresh again for me. It's like, Oh, that was exciting. You know? So that was the only thing I kind of knew I wanted to do. And so we did our farewell tour. It ended, I took a week off for Thanksgiving and then that very next week I went into the studio and I had one week by myself where he had taken, um, he had taken a, a, a break. Um, but again, we were friends at this point. So I just kind of lived in the studio and just basically I had one week to write, um, everything really. Oh my God. Uh, I wrote, I had a few songs kind of already in my pocket from just stuff that I was like, this isn't, doesn't feel like the chariot, but you know, save it for a rainy day kind of thing. And, but I think those like maybe three of those things or there are like two and a half, let's say, <clears throat> but everything else I, I wrote in that week. And again, it's, it was very impulsive. It was very, you know, I didn't want to overthink it. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to enter the idea of like, will people like it? Will they not like it? Will they be expecting it? I just wanted like, this is what I think I like right now, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, for, so. How are you when it comes to, yeah. Because it sounds like you also, I'm assuming you had to write lyrics on the spot too. Oh, yeah. Um, are you someone who can write pretty quickly? Are you someone that that take like was did that is our lyrics secondary to you? Where you're like, I want the, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you yeah. and I both like, for instance, as we talked about a few times here, like we're both fans of Kurt Cobain and Chino from the Deftones, two people who yeah. kind of were pretty vocal about like lyrics don't matter that much to me kind of a thing um not saying that that's you but like are are you able to write quickly and not overanalyze it i i can do both let me tell you this so this last record yes and that we just did i had i had about four i had about three days and ended up being four days to write all my lyrics and so it's very gut instinct. I need them to be sharp when they're coming out. Typically, now I really, really care about lyrics. I care about every single lyric. I care about every single meaning of the word, not because I want you to understand what I'm saying, but because I need to know that if I 
have the luxury of playing this 20 years from now. I want it to be still sharp for me to, to react to it. You know, I want, if I'm having a bad day, this is my therapy, you know, this is the thing. And, and so I need sh- lyrics to mean something to me. And then if people get it, cool. If they don't, that's fine. Um, but, uh, but this album, I, it, it had to be sharp coming out of the gate. And, um, so I was actually pretty impressed because I was able to write pretty fast. Um, and I stand by every lyric, every, every lyric I have in there. I, 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 it means a lot to me. In fact, some of them are even, are even like deeper personal because I didn't have time to discuss with myself how personal do I want to get. I just needed to write whatever was naturally coming out. Totally. A lot of times, a lot of times I'll write what's naturally coming out and I'll be like, I don't want to, like, I don't. I don't want to have to ever explain that lyric to somebody, you know what I mean? Like that's too much, too personal. I don't, I don't owe anybody that, you know? So, um, but for this one, it was very much, it was quick. Um, and like I said, I had, I had very, very short amount of time, but typically, yes, I spend so much time on lyrics. I, I'll have something written and I'll have like a spot where I'm like, okay, that line works, but I know something is sharper out there. Like something can pierce more than that line can, or even that word. And so I will like, you know, I mean, it's funny as it sounds like I'll go into nature and camp for like three days or whatever, focused on this one word. Like, how can I make this one word better? Cause that word is not what I'm trying to say, whatever. I love that. Um, yeah. So that's how I feel about lyrics. I think they're very, very, very important uh but i applaud you um, for being able to 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 take that much focus and like as you said like you had only a few days with that first release to to get it all out there that's so that that first release was is very impulsive and it was very um i was writing stuff like i I was basically having to stay ahead we would show even after that week so that week i record i wrote maybe i don't know a handful of songs but we would record whatever song everybody would go home for the night and I would stay in the studio and I'd continue writing a writing the song B writing the lyrics. Yeah. Um, and so it was very much a, uh, it was like a purposeful, you know, you got a fire under your butt. Let's let no, like I want something to cut. I got, I need to, I need to put something out. I need to make sure that I don't overthink this whole, the whole 68 thing, like whatever it's even going to be. I, I could, if I would have, if I would have had my way, I mean, I might've been just starting today. You know what I mean? Because you overthink things so much that you're just like, whatever. And so I was like, I literally need a studio booked and like deposit put in. I mean, it's all my own money. Like, totally. just like, yeah, I had to have those sort of like things in place or else as most artists I think can do, dude, you give me two weeks to write an album. I'll probably write a record. You give me two years to write a record it'll take about two years. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes. You know? <laughs> Did, so once you recorded that, were you then like shopping the record? Cause it's interesting that you ended up on E1, which was like a major label ish, but it sort seemed, of, yeah. seemed confusing in, in a lot of ways where when you read about the label, how it's like owned by Hasbro now. And it's like this whole thing. Yeah. But, but uh but yeah, were you, once you were done, did you shop it or did you, what's that? So yeah. We, I think we shopped a little bit, but basically I had a good relationship with E1 because the last two, the Chariot records were on Good Fight, good fight yeah. records, which the, I think only the last one maybe was 
like umbrellaed under E1. So it's like E1, good fight. And so when 68 started, uh, Carl of Good Fight Records, uh, I talked to him about being our manager, but I didn't want the manager and the label sleeping in the same bed. So I was like, I was, and he fully got it, but I was like, I want you to be my manager. So let's go directly with two E1, uh, instead of it being like, you know, good fight E1. So, and he was fully cool with that. And he's still my manager today and he rules, but, um, uh, so that, that I already had a relationship is the short answer with how we got signed with them. Um, something I just, I have to ask just out of my own curiosity, when it goes back to all of the stuff that you had done with truth and nail solid state, like that world, um, in hindsight, or like just kind of reflecting back, it's incredible that they took such a chance with a lot of the stuff that you did because it seemed like you were, some might say, counterproductive in the sense of you did the ludicrous <laughs> yeah. stuff and then you're like, we're changing your, we're changing our name, we're not playing any of the songs off that. Then yeah. you do Norma Jean and you leave <clears throat> right after that record starts to kind of take off, and then you start the yeah. Chariot. So it's like you you seem kind of hard to wrangle down and. Like, did you feel that from them or were they, did you feel like they were just always down for whatever you wanted to do? Like, was was there ever nervousness uh, in the meetings about that stuff? Oh, I was never nervous. I I could care less if they liked it or didn't (laughs) like it or, yeah, I I knew I was going to do what I was going to do. But, um, I, what can I say? I like the journey. You know what I mean? I'm not a destination guy. I'm a, I'm a journey guy. I like, I like, uh, you know, I like figuring out how to put the people puzzle pieces together i don't necessarily care about like looking staring at the final puzzle yeah. for the, for the yeah. rest of my life you know um what's funny that it's funny specifically they talk about solid state so brandon evil the owner of tooth and nail solid state uh you know i met with him so many times at this point but i remember at one point <laughs> he was legitimately like i don't understand why people like the things that you do but people clearly like the things that you do. And therefore I stay out of your way. He said those words almost verbatim to me at one point. And it was really cool because what's funny is I have such a different relationship with solid state and, and, and tooth and nail than a lot of other people, because a lot of other people might have these stories of like, Oh, they, they were at the, they were there when we were recording and they were, they tried to shape this, this way and that way and all this stuff. And I'm like, really <laughs> like they just like stayed out of your they way never even do they never tamper i mean have you heard the first chariot record like it's it is uh it's not for everyone you know what i mean like it was like a very purposeful like i want to alienate anyone that doesn't that's not here for now you know what i mean yeah like, this isn't norma Jean part two this is like a thing that i'm doing and and i remember them getting this and being like is this the done product <laughs> And I'm like, yes, it's I, that is what I want to put out. And they're just, uh, you know, and so, yeah, uh, you know, Brandon was always really cool to me. And, and you know, he had that statement of just like, I, I don't get it myself, but people clearly do. So that's amazing. I just stay out of your yeah, way. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, and, and that's fun. You know, that that's as an artist, I work best like that. So now when I meet a new label, um, we're on pure noise now totally. and, uh, this, this, and, and I, dude, I love them so much, uh, uh, just based on what we've seen with just what they've done. <clears throat> but I, when I meet with a label now, it's like, you know, I'm not, 
I, I always take advice. I don't even remotely claim to have it all figured out. But at the same time, if it is a mistake to be made, like I need to be the one making it, you know what I mean? And like, I'll, I'll be the first to go, yeah, I went a little too far on that one or whatever the case may be. But I'm not trying to give people what they think they want. I, I like to try to give people what they didn't know they want. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, and, and I'm not saying I succeed in that. I'm just saying like, I have no interest in shopping my stuff to a focus group and then being like, Hmm, I have this I like, but this I don't like. And then me rearranging stuff. It's like, if everyone got it, like if I was top 40 stuff, it's like, it feels like it's going to be pretty vanilla if I, if everybody understands what I'm doing, you know? And if I'm ever top 40s, like something's gone wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like I've, I've not stuck to my beliefs or something, you know what I mean? Um, and so, and that's just for me, I, you know, no judgment yeah. on anyone that makes it big, good on them. Um, uh, but for me, myself, it's definitely, um, I want to, I, I want to find the line, you know what I mean? I want to cross the line a couple of times and then go, Ooh, I crossed that line, you know, but now I know, now I know where the line is. Like you don't technically know when you're, when your car is going to run out of gas until it's ran out of gas. You know what I mean? Like you have your hunches, you go, I think it might, but the moment it runs out of gas, you go, there it is. Yep. That's how far it can go. Yeah. Sometimes. But you don't know until you know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping the shark. Sometimes it's nice to know how big that shark is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I was actually curious who who did you record this newest record with? I don't know if I could if I was able to find that. <clears throat> uh, so it's Nick Raskulinix, the guy who did Give One Take One. So I was gonna tell you this story. So I recorded with Goldman first two sixty eight records. We were out on tour with uh, Stone Sour, and Nick had recorded with he recorded them, and he came out to see them to hang out with them and his words he was trying to find green room saw us playing and like stopped in his tracks and watched us play so he came up to me after the show and said really really nice things and was pretty bluntly like i've got to record y'all and uh in my mind i was like this guy's really nice and he but he doesn't understand like he's way more expensive than anything. We totally. Yeah. 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 Like, that was my thing. I was just like, he's nice. He just doesn't know yeah. <laughs> who he's talking to. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks also it, it, it's uh, I, I, in no way am I trying to name drop, but it helps to know. So we're on a stone sour tour. He was recording corn. I was homies with a uh, head from corn. Also uh, Caleb from Beartooth was there because he was recording himself but but nick would show up at the end of the night and like i don't really know but anyway caleb's there from Beartooth. head from corn is there uh nick Raskulinix himself is there and then and then you know Corey taylor and so like it's a circle and i'm in it so it, it might make one think that i belong in that circle. <laughs> right 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 like yeah. Like it could very easily come across as like, oh, I'm this up is here, but I not really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so I legitimately was like, I shook his hand. We 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 actually exchanged numbers and we stayed in touch. But I, I legit was like, the moment he realizes what kind of budgets we deal with, like, he's a nice guy, but he doesn't know. He just doesn't know. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. Anyway, a couple weeks later, my manager calls. He's like, yo. 
did you know that like Nick Raskulinix wants to like record y'all's next record? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I met him the other day, and he was really, really nice. Well, he goes, dude, his manager called me, and he, like he's like figuring out how to set this up. And I go, oh cool, okay, right on. And he goes, why would you not tell me this? <laughs> and I go, well, to be fair, I just thought he was being nice, and he didn't know that yeah. we don't have budgets, and like so I just didn't want you to go trying to, I just didn't think it was a real thing. Yeah. But fast forward, like, dude, Nick is awesome. Nick, Nick Raskulinix is sick. And, uh, he very much. So we pulled some strings, he pulled some strings and, you know, we were able to meet in a spot where, uh, you know, he feels okay and we feel okay. And honestly, like that, I called Matt Goldman. I, and I was like, yo, I mean, he's done everything. Uh, since Norma Jean with me and I was like this opportunity is kind of landed in my lap like like sort of accidentally and and he was like oh yeah I'll go for it you know what I mean and and uh <clears throat> and you know as far as like recording and all this stuff it's it's just it's fun to see a different person's point of view on how they do it and all this stuff and and I flew up and met with him for a few days because I didn't want that yes or no sir relationship you know I didn't know if he thought I was Rush, you know what I mean? Like he records Alice in Chains, he records Rush. Like I'm not going to be top 40s. Yeah. I needed to know he knew that, you know. And uh, but yeah, he dude, he fully gets it. He fully loves it. He's like, he's like, I love recording with you because I can pull out all my fuzz pedal. You know what I mean? Like we're like we're putting like five fuzz pedals together. And just see, let's just see what that's like. Yeah. Know? And uh, let's cross the line so we know there's a line, and then we're you know we can figure out what we want to do with that line. You know. So he totally gets it. He's got the right attitude and everything else. And and uh, I love his mentality. His whole mentality is like, yo, humans should be in the in the room recording. You know what I mean? None of this MIDI nonsense. None of that. You know, if you want a violin, we we get a violinist to come in. If you want to, you know. And I love that mentality, and I'm I'm very much a believer in that as as much as I can possibly help it. So it's sick. There, yeah, there was like a a brief minute where because he had done that. Deftones record, uh, yeah, and I was like, "Damn, dude, this thing sounds so good!" And uh, yeah. our manager at the time was managing Corn at the same time. He does; it was very mm-hmm. short lived when he was managing them. <laughs> but I was like, mm-hmm. "I was like, yo, what about Nick Rascalina? It's like a it's a guy to go to." And he was like, "Um, we just confirmed him for the Corn record. Like, there's there's no <laughs> yeah. way, like." they're they're yeah. gonna be a priority over you guys and i was like god damn it <laughs> dude they they record for like a year oh yeah <laughs> like I... they were they were in the studio for like a year and i'm like i mean we show up for like three weeks yeah and we just whip it all out you know is that but... nashville right yeah yeah cool cool um yeah well, that, that was sick. the record comes out this friday right yep congratulations you sent me the record it's it's super good uh, the first nice. song has Thank such you. tension to it and such like Sick. claustrophobia <laughs> to it, which which I don't know if that was the yes. point, but like, you know, discussing, um, you know, feeling tension or feeling that vulnerability or feeling like anything like, I, you know, in the first yeah. track alone out the gate, real I was like, this is <laughs> this is making me feel things. So uh, good. Congrats, man. Um, Thank you very okay, much. We, I've talked to you off for two hours, so I'm going to hit you with the last question, which is. Got it. When was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? So a very, very realistic answer, but maybe not the like lengthy one that you would hope for. Uh, all I've ever wanted to do is play shows. I just wanted to play shows. Like when I was a kid pretending 
you know, playing air guitar, like I was playing a show. And so I was literally talking about this like a couple of days ago with, with Nico, my drummer. I was just like, the, 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 the first show I ever played literally like New Year's Eve at my house, like I had succeeded, you know what I mean? And then the next one I got to succeed again. And the next one I got to succeed again. And like, we've been fortunate with 68, we've done some pretty big tours, which are pretty wild. I mean, we toured with corn and so there's a big full circle moment there, obviously, but I'm just playing a show. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, I, it rules and I'm, and I, it's not lost on me how cool it is to be with the band that's, you know, stood the test of time, but like, but I'm just playing a show. And so for the, the fact that, so playing the show is the success. That's the thing that I wanted to do and I got to do it. And every show I get to play, I think about that again. I go, Oh, I'm succeed today. I'm succeeding at that. Um, but the cherry on top is as of now it's paying my bills and for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's something that I didn't even necessarily sign up for. I didn't know that was, uh, but, but like, I've never had a real job before or anything. And so like to be able to be, doing this and it's still currently paying my bills for the most part is like that is the ultimate success for me and my brain and my my uh ethos and, and the things that i hold dear you know um and so anything else on top of that is like a delicious cherry on a delicious an already delicious cake you know what i mean um whether it's you know six people or, uh, you know, or, uh, low, you know, arena full of people. It's, it's still really, really cool. And <clears throat> I still go about it the same way of like, yo, I'm the most grateful person and to be able to, to do the thing that I've wanted to do since seventh grade, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so, you know, and it's not for everybody, you know, that, I mean, it's, 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 it's not the Instagram lifestyle that people want you to think it is. It's, it's, you know, driving eight hours, it's, it's loading in, it's loading out, but I kind of love all that stuff. So for me, it's like, if that's the thing that I got to do to play another show, then cool. I I'm fully okay with that, you know? Um, but to answer your question of like, you know, when did I sort of achieve the thing that I was wanting to do? It's like that first show I did, you know, and then the next show and then the next show and then all of a sudden people were like actually paying to come see us play. Like, that's cool. I didn't even necessarily know that existed, but Hey, that's neat, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, every single show is a, is another success, you know what I mean? And, and, and for better or worse, I mean, we've had bad shows, you know what I mean? But like, but that's fine. We're humans and, uh, you know, I'm okay with that vulnerability being there and, and I still got to do the thing, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, very, very much so the very, I mean, it sounds oversimplistic, but that is kind of how I am. Um, because again, I'm a journey guy. I'm not a destination guy. So for me, it's like, you know, it's never about signing this con, you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, I wasn't dreaming about signing contracts. You know what I mean? I was, I wasn't dreaming about touring in a bus or sleeping in a bus. I was literally playing a show in my dream, yeah. in my mind, you know, like pretending. So um, so for me, that's it. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And I think that's what keeps me able to kind of be 
pretty positive in general because I am like, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have hardly any money, but, uh, I wake up loving what I do. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's, that's a big payment for me. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, it's not lost on me how, you know, how, how <clears throat> I'm a very grateful person. Let's just put it that way. Cause you know, I should definitely not still be here, but I'm on the train until it derails, I guess, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Dude. Thanks so much, Josh. This has been great. I appreciate it, man. It was a real treat. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Josh for coming on. And thank you, as always, for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound so wonderful by my boy, Ryan Rainbow. And a reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now where Josh answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. If you would like to hear that, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Sign up for as little as $3 a month. Help support the show. Here's some cool bonus stuff means a lot. All right. Take care. Have a good rest of your week. Be good. Bye. Bye.